Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. My name is Levi. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, my wife's name is Rachel. We make a very good 1950s duo, right? Rachel and Levi, the Amish. She plays piano. I preach. So welcome. Yeah. I'm just killing time. Not today. She played guitar today. Yeah. Yeah. Killing time until we, we, we settle in here a little bit. So you, you heard the announcement about painting. There's probably 15 or 20 Crossroads folks, mostly retired, which thank you for all of those who, who have been freed up from doing normal work to freed up to use your time to do some of God's work in your retirement. We, we thank you for that. Thank you for everyone who's come out from Crossroads. But I got to give a shout out to, to the men from the Renewed Mind. I won't make them raise their hand. They're, they're here this morning, not all of them. We had 15 to 18 guys show up twice, and we are as far as we are in the progress uh, on the painting because they came. So big, big round of applause for them. Yeah. Not only are they, you know, trying to get their lives back on track from addiction and, and some of that stuff, but they're, they're using their time that's been given to them recently because of that to invest in some of what God's doing. So just way, way to go, guys. We, we love you. We are praying for you. Thank you for all of the work that, that you did. We really, really appreciate it. So that's what I'll say about that. Monday, Tuesday, if you want to come out, spread a little more paint. We're, we're probably 20% left to get painted, and then they're going to start putting grid up for ceilings and floor. And I'm hoping, I shouldn't even say this, I'm hoping within the next month that we, we should be really close to being able to open our children's wing and offices. So getting excited for that. Continue to play for the progress on that. If you were with us last week, we talked at length about the unfair responsibility that we have as believers to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you remember, the title of the message last week was that we are our brother's keeper. We're in charge of looking after our brothers and sisters in Christ, which means if they sin against us or we see them failing in certain ways, the Lord has given us the responsibility to lovingly care front, right? Pastors like to make up words, care front, confront. They, we've been given the responsibility to care front our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20 really gave us the model on how that is supposed to work. And I'm not going to rehash that for us this morning, but that's what we discussed. We said, the big idea, if we want to cultivate a community that fosters maturity, maturity is learning to live up and into your God-given potential for your age and stage of life. So if we want to be a community that helps you live up into your potential, your God-given potential at your age and stage of life, we want to be a community that fosters maturity, then we will take up the sometimes unfair responsibility to expose one another's faults. And we're going to do that because we love people, because we want to protect them, and we want to restore them back to their relationship to Jesus, back to relationship with us, and the whole community will be better for it. Now, what we talked about last week is what the disciples heard from Jesus when he teached it the first time. And presumably, right after Jesus teaches all of his disciples about what we talked about last week, Peter I love Peter. Peter is the patron saint who doesn't have a filter between his head and his mouth, right? So if if that's you, Peter's your guy, right? He's your guy. He speaks up for all of us. He he remembers what what we've talked about, about being our brother's keeper and how unfair sometimes that can be. 
right? How frustrating that can be when someone who hurts us, they should have known better, and now you want me to go confront them about it? That's scary, right? When someone sins against us or offends us, we're presented with that opportunity to talk about them. All of us, that inner dialogue starts to go off in our head. We start to feel fear. We start to feel afraid. What if they hurt me more? What if they they lash out for, for me confronting them or care fronting them, right? That's one option, and so we're scared of that. But the other option is even worse sometimes. What if they actually apologize and seek my forgiveness? Well, then God expects me to continue to be friends with these people? I don't like this person. They hurt me, right? So that's all that's going on in the disciples' mind. That inner dialogue that you and I have when someone sins against us, when someone's failing who should know better, we're given the opportunity to confront them. That responsibility to do so by God, we start to wonder if it's worth it. And like Peter... You are not alone in those feelings. Peter is right there with you. He speaks up for you, and he asks Jesus just something along the lines that maybe you might be thinking. Peter knows he's had a habit of inserting his foot into his mouth, and so when he frames his question, I I just sort of get this idea that he's kind of, you know, he's he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's ready to ask the question. He knows the number's going to be high. The question he asked, Jesus is going to be high. And so, so he asked Jesus, a question that we're going to look at right here in verse, uh, verses 21 of 28 in Matthew 18. I'm going to read it and we'll talk about it. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter, after hearing all this business about being our brother's keeper, then Peter, he came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And I want you to envision Peter in this moment, right? I want you to envision kind of a smug look on his face. He thinks he's, he's given the teacher's pet answer, sort of here, right? He comes to Jesus and he says, well, how many, how many times should we forgive? Not once, not twice, not even three times. He gives the answer. He's, he thinks Jesus is going to be real proud of him. Jesus, how many times do I have to take someone back who's wronged me, who's offended me, who's sinned against me? How, how many times do I have to confront someone and forgive them before I can write them off and just be done with them completely? Seven times? Seven, that's pretty good, huh? Seven? Now, we could laugh at this, but before we do that, I want you to kind of take off your your Sunday school best, right? The Sunday school answer, and think with me about this for a second. Raise your hand in here. Anyone ever been sinned against? Okay, everybody, good. All right, now, not good, but (laughs) not good. But you're all with me. We're all on the same page. That's what I mean, right? That's what I mean. All right. Now, I want you to think about, when you raise your hand, I'm guessing that the one, maybe two things came right to the forefront of your mind. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about what was done that offended you, that hurt you, the abuse that happened. Think about the person who did it. Think about how it made you feel. Think about how you feel about that person right now. Now, with that context, Peter's suggestion of forgiving that person, of moving towards that person who's in your brain, of restoring that friendship with that guy or gal, Peter's number of seven gets framed a little bit differently, doesn't it? Right? You say, you know the old saying, fool me once, shame on you. 
fooled me twice, shame on me. And I can't, I can't mention this without talking about George Bush. You remember when he said that? Right, fool me once, fool me, don't get fooled again, right? You remember that? It was like, oh, George, we love you, but man, not great. Seriously, though, in, in our world, you, you maybe get max three strikes, and then you are out, right? That's, that's the justice, the standard that we live by. And Peter here He goes above and beyond. He suggests seven times. Seven times of putting yourself back out there after you've been wronged, hurt, abused, sinned against. To use the illustration I mentioned from last week, I've had people throughout throughout my ministry say, so if I I put my foot out there and get it run over by a semi, you just expect me to put it right back out there again? Seven times, Peter says. Seven times, Jesus? Should we forgive someone up to seven times? Church, that's a radical number from a human perspective. It is. But Jesus, Jesus was human, but he wasn't just human, was he? No. Jesus was otherworldly. Jesus was and is God. And so I'm going to read the rest of Matthew 18, and I want you to hear the heart of the Father towards those who sin against Him. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. And already, some of you, like the disciples, are starting to do the math, right? Taking your socks off, getting your toes out, your fingers, so you can count that high, right? Seventy-seven times. It's a lot. See, Jesus knew that that would be our reaction to his clear hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggeration for effect. He's exaggerating for effect here. He's not being literal. He's saying the number is so high that you shouldn't keep a record. You should lose count because love does not keep any record of wrong. 1 Corinthians 13, you don't get to keep a record. You don't get to keep a record. And so, Jesus, to drive home his point, to make sure that we're not keeping records, that we're not counting, all right, getting close to 77 here. No, he says, this is what it's like. He tells a story, a a parable, to help us understand the heart of the Father towards us and what he expects from those of us who've received forgiveness, what the math of forgiveness is supposed to be. You see, you don't need your fingers and your toes to do the math of forgiveness. You just need one finger. One offense, God expects we forgive, and when we forgive, we set the record back to zero. And hopefully not, but maybe if you're offended again, you get one more strike, and then we're expected to move towards that person in reconciliation and love, and once again, offer forgiveness, and the record goes back to zero, because that's how God treats us. That's how he expects us to treat others. Here's the big idea for today's message. Forgiveness continually and repeatedly flows from the truly forgiven. I want you to listen to the story Jesus gives that illustrates for us his math of forgiveness. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement... A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 
And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, Be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that happened. And then the master called this servant in and he said, You wicked servant! I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In, your, in, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well, church, we talk a lot about freedom around here at Crossroads. It's our, it's our marching battle cry, our vision. Crossroads exists to help lost people get found and found people live free. I don't think I can overstate this. Forgiveness is God's master key to experience, experiencing God's freedom. It's what unlocks the door to all the other stuff. Forgiveness. Peter Horobin is an author that I've come to really appreciate, especially in regards to issues of forgiveness. He says in his book, God's Master Key, and how to forgive when it feels impossible. And if at the end of this message you want to go deeper, I would recommend both of those books to you. They're short. They're incredibly helpful. They lay out a plan to help you figure out how to move towards that person that you just really don't want anything to do with. He says in both of those books, he says, Forgiveness of sin is the greatest possible blessing that God makes available to his children. But if we are not willing to forgive others, we will miss out on God's best for our lives. Forgiveness is an insanely big deal. I want you to notice a few things in the story that Jesus tells us about forgiveness. Firstly, I want you to notice as we read that forgiveness is spoken about as a debt. A debt that is owed. That's the image that Jesus gives to us to think about when someone thinks about us. There is a debt that has been incurred against God, against you, against others. Something is owed. And the unforgiving servant, the wicked servant in this story, is said to have owed the master 10,000 bags of gold. Now, I did the math, which is always dangerous when a pastor tries to do math, so don't, don't double-check my work. We're just going to go with it, okay? Assuming that each one of those bags weighs around 20 pounds, if you take the price of the ounce of gold right now and do all the multiplication or whatever, it looks like this dude owes somewhere around... billion dollars. 
I think 20 pounds is probably light, to be honest. It could be closer to 50 pounds a bag. Let's say it's, let's take the low end, $6.1 billion. I know with our day and age, we talk about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all the billions and bajillions and trillions of debt that we're in and all that. And so we hear these numbers, but to put it into perspective for you, one year of interest on $6.1 billion, one year is $427 million. One year of interest at 7%, okay? This is an insane amount of money. Huge debt. The master erases that debt. And think about that for a second. What would happen if someone erased your mortgage? It would be life-changing. $6.1 billion. The master erases this debt. And folks, this isn't just as easy as deleting a line from a spreadsheet. I mean, it is that easy, but someone's going to absorb all of that, right? There's no free lunch. Someone's going to pay the cost to absorb that amount of debt. There's a huge cost to forgiveness that either God assumes or we, assumes when he, or we assume when he resets the record to zero. There is a cost that needs to be paid. And the master who is God in this story, pays it without blinking. Why? Because this is our God, church. This is who God is. He is radically generous and giving. There is no cost too high that he will not pay to extend forgiveness to any and everyone who seeks it out. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Now I realize when we talk about debts this big, you don't feel it. I don't feel it. In relationship to our sin, we do not feel this indebted to the Father, do we? We don't. Why? Because most of us are pretty decent people, right? We're not Hitler. We're not out there murdering and raping and carrying on, right? We're, most of us are pretty decent people by, God's, or by the world's standards. We don't really feel the weight of our sin. We aren't as bad as we could be. That's true. But in comparison to the perfect and holy God, even the best of us in here, on our best day, we are more like this man in the story than we ever care to admit. The debt we owe to God when compared to his, his perfection, it's vast. We're in the red to a large, large degree, to use accounting terms. At least $6 billion. At least. And that's bad news. How in the world would ever how in the world would anyone ever climb out of such a debt like this? I can barely pay off my mortgage, right? I've got I don't even know how many years left, and it ain't anywhere close to six billion. How in the how in the world could anybody ever dig out of a debt this deep? You can't. You won't. But God so loved you. And he so loves me. And he so loved the world that he decides to pay off your debt by sending his one and only son to the cross. And while Jesus was on that cross, he cried out, you'll remember, what did he say? Forgive them. Forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgive the murderers. Forgive the rapists. 
Forgive those who drove the nails into my hands. Forgive those who mocked me as I was pulled up onto the cross. Forgive the sexually immoral. Forgive the homosexuals. Forgive the divorced. Forgive the lazy, he says. Forgive the liars. Forgive the indifferent. Forgive those who fudge on their taxes. Forgive the prejudiced, the racist. Forgive the gossipers. Forgive those who have one beer too many. Forgive those who go too far with their girlfriends or boyfriends. Forgive those who fantasize about going too far with the jogger on the street. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Folks, this forgiveness is not automatic. It's not. You have to ask for it, like the guy does here in the story. He falls to his knees and pleads for mercy. But if you do, if you ask the Lord to be merciful, the Master, God, He will wipe your slate clean every single time. Do you know why He does this, church? I want you to really think about this for a second. Why does God extend such mercy to you and I? Why would he do such a ridiculously gracious and loving thing to someone who does not deserve it like me? He does it to win us and transform us by love. He does it to win our loyalty and affection so that you and I would live out of a place not of indebtedness, where we try to earn and and pay him back, that's not why he forgives it. No, there's no debt anymore. It's gone. The balance sheet said zero. There's nothing to repay. He doesn't forgive you so you can try and earn it and repay him. No, he forgives you so that you will live out of a place of gratitude, understanding what you once were and where you once were and how God graciously and mercifully said, you're no longer that. There's no debt. It's gone. You're free. Now live from that freedom in gratitude and love. And that's the point of the story that Jesus tells us. That's the point. When we read a story like this, when we hear a story like this, we all see how wrong it is, don't we? Like, what in the heck is this guy's problem? You read it, it's like, dude, what? All the servants in the story, they go back and they say, look at what this guy's doing. We all recognize there is a giant problem here, right? It's offensive. Don't just gloss over it. Think about it. Six billion dollars of debt forgiven. And now he's going hard after a guy who essentially owes him about 20 bucks. Are you serious? Are you for real, dude? There is something seriously wrong with this picture. We all see it. And yet... How many of us are just like this guy? Unwilling to forgive, even though we have been forgiven so incredibly much by our Father. See, here's the progression, church, of unforgiveness. A debt is incurred. You are owed something. And rather than responding in kind, like our good and gracious Father in heaven responds to us and Jesus, 
when someone sins against, against us, rather than wiping their slate clean when they come to us and they repent and seek forgiveness, we say, yep, I'm offering it because God offers that to me, I offer that to you. Rather than doing that, we seek to get back what they owe us. I hope you saw it when we read it. That's the attitude of unforgiveness. The attitude of unforgiveness says, you owe me. And don't miss this. Look at how quickly things turn violent. Look at it in the text. Verse 28. But when the servant went out, the one who had been forgiven so incredibly much, when that servant went out, he found one of his servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He's harboring unforgiveness in his heart. There's a debt you owe me. And he grabs him and begins to choke him, it says. Pay back what you owe me, he demands. Because this man, who had been forgiven so much, chooses to harden his heart with unforgiveness, he winds up in a torture chamber. Church, this is what unforgiveness is going to do to you. If you choose to withhold it towards anyone in your life, this is the road it goes. Unforgiveness is like a poison we take hoping that someone else will drop dead. Unconfessed unforgiveness will bind you up in a prison of your own making. Just like this guy in our story winds up imprisoned and tortured. Unforgiveness binds us in a prison where we have where the feelings of hurt and anger become the prison bars that we hold on to and the lies associated with the unforgiveness that we're harboring becomes the block, the lock on the door that keeps us from being able to receive God's love, to sense His presence, to walk in His blessing. You say, why? Because of spiritual laws. If you jump out of a plane, you're going to fall because gravity exists. There are laws in the spiritual realm that exist. God says, I will not bless sin. And so if you are harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, God says, I can't bless sin. And unforgiveness is a sin. And so I love you and I want to bless you, but I can't while you're holding on to sin in your life. So you will not experience God's best. Not only that, you will wind up in a torture chamber of your own making when you choose to withhold forgiveness from someone who sinned against us. Church, I am convinced, we have a freedom ministry that we've started here where We believe that there can be strongholds in people's lives where demons can have greater influence in your life than what they should. And so we want to tear down those strongholds and pray over folks. And a part of that process, we've learned that unforgiveness is probably one of the greatest, biggest, most prominent footholds or strongholds that the enemy uses to gain access and influence into believers' lives. It's a huge deal. Again, forgiving someone, it's the master key to unlocking all of God's good and blessings in your life. It is a huge, huge deal. Forgiveness continually and repeatedly flows from those who have been truly forgiven. You see in those commercials, it's what you do, right? So-and-so, they do this because it's, you know, they, the real estate agent sells houses. It's what they do. Forgiven people, forgive. It's what they do. It's what they do. It's what they do. Jesus' point in this story, don't be like that servant. Don't be like him. Our series, we've been talking about 
no fair, right? No fair. The joys and hardships of grace. I understand learning to do this, forgiving someone who's offended, abused, wronged you. I know this is not fair. I know that for some of you, there have been insanely evil things that have been done to you. I know that. I know. But friend, if Jesus has forgiven you, you cannot say, you do not want to be like this guy. You cannot be like him. You need to, you have to, you must extend forgiveness. And to help you do that, I want, you, I want to help you understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. A lot of folks in our culture think forgiveness is just forgetting. Pretend like it never happened. And that is not what God is asking you to do, right? I could see where if you thought forgiveness meant you just pretend like nothing happened, that this would be an incredibly hard thing for you to do. But that's not what God is inviting us into. Forgiveness is not just pretending like there is no debt that was incurred. No big deal, nothing happened, I'll I'll just throw it under the rug and pretend like everything's honky-dory. No. Forgive and forget. No. God's not asking you to forget. The beauty of the gospel is what God is offering to us is not to forget the debt, but to transfer it to another source, to another person, right? So I want you to think about it like this. Choosing to forgive someone If there is a debt that has been incurred, you can assume the right of the bank and the debt collecting agency yourself. And that's where things get violent, right? You see the repo guys, they go out with the bass and they're stealing stuff, right? You can choose that responsibility for yourself. Good luck with that. Or you can do what God is offering us. What he's offering us is not to ignore what happened, but he's saying, hey, in faith, don't just trust me to be your savior, Trust me to also be your vindicator, your defender. Bring that debt to me. Transfer it from your bank and your debt collection agency. Give it to me, to my bank. I will be the debt collector. And then here's what he says. He says, listen, I am a God of justice. I see what happened to you. I know how unjust it was. We're not going to say that nothing, that there is no debt. What I am going to say is that debt requires a payment, and here's how we're going to seek that justice. It's either going to be on the cross of Jesus Christ, like your sins were paid for, like your debt was paid for. You might say, well, I don't know if I want Jesus to forgive. You don't get to say that, church. If Jesus is allowed to say, I will forgive any and all of your sins, then he's allowed to say that to whoever abused you as well. So God says, my justice will be had on the foot of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Or, if the person that sinned against you and harmed you, if they refuse to come to me and receive my grace and mercy and have the justice paid on the cross, then I promise you that at the end, in the judgment, there will be justice. Your debt will be paid in full. That's what it means to forgive. From your heart. You take it to the Father. You say, Lord, here's what happened. Here's how I feel. Here's how hurt I am. But I'm tired of holding on to this. I'm tired tired of trying to get back what they owe me. I'm going to turn this person over to you. Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust you to be my defender and my vindicator. I'm going to trust you to be the only righteous judge and to bring about justice in this situation. It's yours, Lord. And then, and here's the radical part, that person that you hate, that person that abused you, your enemy, 
God says, don't just hand them over to me. Pray for their blessing. Pray that I might bless them. It is very hard to be held captive, church, when you are playing blessing over your captors. You're free from them. They have nothing on you. Now they belong in the hands of the Father. You are free and clear. I have some more resources in regards to this. There's a half sheet of paper called How to Forgive that I put together with a sermon link that I preached on about the process a little bit more in depth a couple weeks back or months back. That'll be at the back. You can look at Horobin's book if you want, or his two books if you want. We also have a freedom ministry. Um, I'm veering way off my notes, but as we were praying as elders this morning, I just felt like God wanted me to take it this direction instead. We're going to do something that I do in that freedom ministry, and some of our, our freedom team will do with you if you ever come and you say, man, I feel bound up. I feel, I feel held captive in ways that I, I don't think I should, and I want to be free. One of the things that we do will walk you through some steps of forgiveness and I want to walk you through as a congregation together in something that you might say this is kind of hokey, but we've seen it be incredibly powerful. So I want everybody to close your eyes. And I want you to think about that person. And let me just pray. Holy Spirit, I invite you to call to remembrance, call to mind, one person in each and every one of our hearts for whom we're, we're withholding forgiveness. Someone that, that we rehearse things that we'd love to, speeches that we'd love to tell them, someone that makes us feel really uncomfortable for us to be around, someone that we, we avoid. Father, I want you to call that person to our mind right now. So I want you to get that person in your mind, the name, maybe a picture of a face. And now I want you to, in your mind, go down in the depths of your being. Think of it kind of being kind of in, in your bowels. There's a dungeon down there where we lock people up. When we, when we withhold forgiveness, when we choose to, to not forgive, we, we lock someone in a cage down in the depths of our being. I want you to envision that cage, that prison, with that person sitting in that cage. And I want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart of conviction. I want you to call to mind this wicked servant who said, I, pay me back what you owe me. Holy Spirit, I invite you compassionately, graciously in this moment, not to condemn us, but to inv invite us to experience a greater level of your freedom by offering the forgiveness that you offered to us on the cross. Remember the cross, church. Remember your debt and how when you turned to Christ for mercy, he gave it to you. Look back into that cage and now, in light of the gospel, in light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, I want you to walk toward that cage with the keys of life and forgiveness. I want you to unlock that door I want you to take that person by the hand. I want you to walk them out of the cage. I want you to turn around. You're going to notice a set of stairs. There's a bright light at the top. Climb up those stairs. 
As you get up to the top, you'd find and discover you're entering into the throne room of your Heavenly Father. I want you to take that person by the hand, and I want you to hand them over to Jesus. And as you hand them over to Jesus, this is what Christ wants you to know. I love you, he says. I love this person. If they had known me, if they had known what sin they did against you, the effects of it, they never would have done it. I want you to know, child, that when you hand them over to me, I will pursue justice. Not for you, but for my name's sake and glory. I want you to leave that person at the foot of Jesus. You can open your eyes. This is a small thing. It might seem kind of hokey. I've went through that process several times in my life and handed people over. It's been incredibly powerful. I pray that it that is powerful for you. It's something you can do by yourself if you want to. If you need more help, you can come to our, our Freedom Team ministry. We'll, we'll walk you through it and some other things as well. As I was prepping for this morning, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap things up than by partaking of communion. Because communion is is remembering the debt that we owed and the price that Christ paid to wipe our debt. His body and His blood for you and for me. I want to read some of John 6 for you this morning. Starting in verse 27, Jesus said to the crowds that were seeking him out, He said, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus, church. Trust Jesus enough to hand over those who have sinned against you, to hand them over to him. Trust him not just to be your savior, but also your defender and your vindicator. And so they asked him, What sign then will you give us that we may see and believe you? What are you going to do, Jesus? In our context today, you may feel this same way. What are you going to do, Jesus, to convince me that I should forgive those who have sinned against me? What are you going to do that I should believe and trust in you? Back then, they said, our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. And here's Jesus' response to you. What are you going to do that I may trust you, Lord, that I might believe in you? Jesus says to them and to us, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who paid the debt. It is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am that bread. 
I am the bread who gives life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever comes to me will never be bound. Whoever comes to me will never be burdened. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will set you free by the power of my forgiveness. Extend what I give to you. Whoever comes to me and believes will never be thirsty again. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life today and now and into eternity. I am the bread of life, he says. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, my body that's been broken for you my life that I will give for you, the debt that I will pay for you. My flesh is real food, Jesus says. My blood is real drink. Church, we are going to take communion. If you have a personal relationship with the bread of life, then you come and partake. And when you do, do not harbor any unforgiveness in your heart. Begin the process. It's a process. Right? It doesn't happen overnight. It's a decision we make to release those who have offended us over to the Father. But it's a decision we make continually and repeatedly. Why? Because forgiveness continually and repeatedly flows from those who have been truly forgiven. So as you come and remember the price that was paid for your forgiveness, don't withhold forgiveness from others. I'm going to pray and the band can come forward as I do. As I pray or before I pray, let you know we've got four tables and stations. If you're close to one, kind of go to one of those and maybe kind of flow in a clockwise direction. I think that'll help flow a little bit, but come whenever you feel ready. You don't have to come right away. You can take some time in your seat. The band's going to play. If you want to do some more work with the Father to work through some forgiveness, if you want to abstain today because you might have to go be reconciled to someone, you absolutely have free freedom to do that. Just follow the Spirit however He leads. The Lord Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. Listen for that voice, and He'll guide and direct you. I'm confident of that. So I'll pray now, and as I'm done praying, the band will play, and we can partake in communion together. Then we'll stand and sing a final closing song at the end. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm going to pray for something that's not super fun right now in this moment, but would you, just for a minute, give us a glimpse of the debt and weight of our sin before you. Father, you said for those who have been forgiven much, they forgive much. Would you help us know and understand the amount that we have been forgiven personally? Father, as we begin to